0: Bibles, please, um, and go to uh, Romans chapter 7. In fact, uh, as I do that, um, I want to take a little quiz, a little survey. I was kind of putting my notes together this week. How many of you, um, when you come in Sunday mornings, you use an actual um, Bible, like an actual copy of a Bible? Let me see your hands. Okay? How many of you use. When you're here. Yeah, when you're here, not at home, but here, yeah, yeah, when you're, okay. And then how many of you um, on a Sunday morning, use a tablet or a phone? Okay, about the same number, okay? How many of you kind of just rely on the screen and just take notes? Okay, there's a decent amount. Okay, I was just, it was a total curiosity question as I was resting. It doesn't make one of you more spiritual than the other. It really, I am not making any kind of spiritual judgment at all because I'm an electronic guy and uh, pretty much uh, uh, completely that direction. So uh, I don't believe that. Uh, in fact, I think I've told you before that I saw a stained glass window one time that had a Bible on it. And I think, at what point in time, does this, on a stained glass window, are they going to put an iPad? Because that's what a lot of people are using nowadays. Because the Bible is just technology. They didn't have, it was scrolls at the beginning. So anyway, Romans chapter 7, which by the way, I, I'm just going to get it out of the way so I, I can get my, I feel very self-conscious this morning because I left my wedding ring at home. So I'm not available, okay? So Amanda and I are doing just fine. I just forgot my ring at home. I asked my daughters to bring it and they forgot. So um, it's my fault. But I feel self-conscious uh, this morning. So this get that out of the way. All right. Before we look at the passage today, we're going to look at Romans chapter seven, verses seven down to 25. Uh, Let's set things up this way. I'm going to show you first some statements that Paul has already made in our journey through Romans about the law and specifically the role that the law plays in God's relationship with his people. Now by the law we're referring to, that, that what Paul is referring to is the what God gave the Israelites through Moses at Mount Sinai. We call this the Mosaic Covenant, the Mosaic Law, which at some point in time I've been doing some studying recently on a better understanding of what the covenants are all about. So, for example, you have the Adamic covenant, which would be Adam. You've got the Noahic covenant, Noah, the Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenant, and the New Covenant, and the relationship of how all of those in the Old Testament, they build on each other to point to Christ. So, as Paul unpacks the New Covenant, he's looking back and saying, okay, what relationship does God's people have with the law or the Mosaic covenant? And so, that's what he's going to, we're going to wrestle with that a bit more today and just a little bit next week, or in two weeks, in chapter 8. So I want to take you to several verses, three different verses, if you want to just watch watch as we do this. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, for by works of the law, no human being will be what? Justified in his sight. Justified means to be made right with God. So the law does not justify. In fact, there's kind of four principles in our statements I'm gonna quickly give you from D.A. Carson, he's a theologian. And the first one is this is the law does not justify. The law does not make you right with God. It didn't back then and it doesn't today. Number two is the last half of this verse. It says, Since through the law comes what? Knowledge of sin. So here's the second point is that the law makes sin known. Uh, this is the the truth. In fact, the law points to God's character, God's holiness, and, and that was what makes rebellion against that known. So that's another purpose of the law. The law makes sin known. We jump to chapter four. So we were in three now, four, and then we'll be in five here in a second. Chapter four says, for the law brings what? Wrath. So when it's tied together here, the law is what uh, allows God to say, no, no, my, my, that unrighteousness is going to be met with my wrath. And so we looked at uh, uh, Romans chapter one, verse 18, says the wrath of God has been revealed against man's unrighteousness. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. So the law brings wrath. But the last one in chapter five, verse 20, it says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. And then that second half says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. A fourth statement is that the law stimulates sin. The law is that, that catalyst or that, that uh, fertilizer. And when the law is put on sin, it just blows up. In fact, we're going to see a bit of that today. Now, as we talk about the law, the, the reality is you and I do not understand it as a New Testament Christian like an Old Testament Jew would. Their mindset would have been very different and as Paul preaches Christ, he's teaching that he's taking what Jesus said and he's saying that Christ has been fulfilled, like the law has been fulfilled in Christ and the law has given away to grace. Now it's a bit of an oversimplification, but I do think it's a starting point. So as we unpack this today, I want to go back to the last three verses we looked at last week. Let me just read them for you again. Chapter 7, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers and sisters, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So what else have we died to before? We died to the law, but we also died to what? Sin. Okay, it's both. So as he's arguing back and forth, we died to sin. We also, you also have died to the law through what Christ did on the cross, so that you may belong to another. So you no longer belong to the law, you belong to another. Who's that? It's to him who has been raised from the dead. Who's that? Jesus. Jesus, Okay, for the purpose, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So we've been, Jesus died. He, he, he no longer bondage to sin, but also no longer under the authority of the law. We belong to him for the purpose of bearing fruit for God. For a while, verse 5, for while we were living in the flesh, what that means is the sinful nature that had authority over us, the sinful nature that had authority, living in the flesh are sinful passions which were what? Aroused by the law. Again, the law stimulates sin. So our sinful passions, they look at the law as like, oh, okay, they they, they bubble and rise to the top, aroused by the law. They were at work in our members, our physical body. There's a distinction here between our physical body, the members, and the flesh. When he's talking about the flesh, now they go together, but the flesh is our sinful nature. That... No longer has authority, but it's still there. In fact, we're going to see that as the whole point in the passage today. They were at work in our bodies, our members, to bear fruit for what? Death. So the last verse, bear fruit for God. The end result here is to bear fruit for death. So now, if we're reading this, if a a Jew especially were reading this, they'd be like, well, man, the law kind of sounds bad, if, if that's what the law is all about, well, verse six. I'm sorry, verse seven. Here we go. Hang on. No, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Verse six. Sorry, I'm getting confused. It's not unusual. But now, verse six, we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive. The law held us captive. We've been released from that so that we serve in the new way of the spirit. Huge, huge, huge distinction. Law, spirit. We're gonna unpack that in two weeks. It's a big deal. We serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So if we're no longer in bondage to, no longer under the authority of the law, then does that make the law bad and evil? Is that, then why would, why would we escape, escape it if it's not bad? Paul's gonna unpack that and explain that in verses seven to 12, here we go. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means, no, the law is not sin. Yet, follow the argument, yet if, I, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Again, one of the purposes of the law is to explain what sin is. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So we we probably wouldn't understand that if he's picking the 10th commandment and and explaining that a little bit more, which by the way, coveting is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling this morning, coveting a city that actually has a football team that might win a Super Bowl someday, but different kind of coveting, I guess. But sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, it produced in me all kinds of covetousness. So the sin in me saw the law, and then it produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead, sin can't do anything without the law, these are the rules that God had for his people. Sin doesn't operate if there's not rules behind it. I once was alive, apart from the law, meaning I kind of lived my life apart from the law, but then the commandment came and sin woke up. Sin came alive and my response was, I died. So a lot of, this is a complicated passage. But sin in us sees the law and says, okay, it's time to get active. And because, I mean, think about it. Our sin nature, there's a law. Oh, how can I break it? That's, that's the normal reaction of a lot of, of most of us as sinful human beings. The very commandment that promised life, okay, God's commands were designed to bring life, proved instead to be death to me. So, if you think of all that, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, it deceived me, and through it, it killed me. But, all that, if you're not following all that, that's fine. Here's what I want you to catch. Verse 12 says, so, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. Let me give you this statement for your notes. Even though we've been made free from the law, it's still good and holy. But you got your sin nature, your flesh, in cahoots with, partnership with the law to bring us to death, which keeps us from bearing fruit for God. So, the reality is, just to remind you, we've already talked about this, Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, has freed us from sin, we're no longer under the authority of sin, but it's also freed us from the law. Well, what does that really mean? We'll explain that here, verse 13. Actually, let me give you a second statement that will lead us into 13 through the end of the chapter. The negative effects of the law. What are the negative effects of the law? Death. We've seen that already. Death and our flesh and law work together. The negative effects of the law are not because of the law, but instead because of our sin and our human weakness. So we can never say the law is bad. It's holy, it's good. The reason that it leads to death is because of our sin and our human weakness. Now let's unpack this in verse 13 and following. Did that which is good, what are we talking about? Did that which is good, gotta make sure you're following by the law, thank you. Then bring death to me? No. The law didn't bring death. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that, sin might be shown to be sin. So sin clarifies what is sin, and it actually takes it a step further. And through the commandment, it might become sinful beyond measure. So the law is there to show us how messed up we are. The law is there to show how bad sin is beyond measure. And he makes a turn in 14, and it gets really practical, and it gets really personal. Paul says this, for we know that the law is what? Spiritual, okay, of the spirit, That's that's a God thing, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Do you see the distinction? Law is spiritual, but we're flesh, and it says sold under sin, what he's referring to is if we're not rescued from our sin through Jesus Christ, we're under the bondage of sin. The flesh was under that. Now thankfully we've been relieved from that, released from that. And then Paul is gonna go a direction. I want you to just put yourselves in his shoes and see if these would be the words you could use because frankly they're the words that I feel all the time in my own life. Paul says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I almost want to take a show of hands. How many have that this morning? You know, that, 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 this is a reality for all of us. I don't understand my own actions. I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I I agree with the law that it is good. So what he's saying is when that happens, when I do the things that I don't want to do, I'm actually proving that the law is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, which sounds like a cop-out, but what he's explaining is, but sin that dwells within me. He's making a distinction from his heart and his sin nature. His heart because it's a new heart, says I wanna do what God wants me to do. So it's not my heart that's sinning, it's the sin nature in me, it's the flesh that's still operating and I'm really struggling with that. Any of you have any tension on the inside? Between heart and flesh, heart and actions? For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Some of you are like, yeah I know, that's right. (laughs) That is in my flesh. Because it just feels like there's just that, man, I can't conquer this sin. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I don't know about you, but I feel that way all the time. In fact, in my line of work, I'm exposed to the good stuff all the time. And I'm like, That is really hard to measure up. It is really hard. And and most of us, we're like, okay, I'll just act like I got it together. I'll just just act like I have the ability to carry it out. Put a little makeup on, and no, that's no, no, let's not go there. That's not the right bad analogy. You know, you dress, you wear a bow tie or something. That's how you, you, you look good. Four. I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I hope you feel that way because that's the way I feel. So I hope you're in this with me. Now if I do what I do, now if I do what I do not want, again, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that dwells in me. So let's pause there for a second. I want to give you a, uh, another principle, uh, and I'm going to give you another principle in a moment, uh, but first let's do a little interpretation here. This is a debated passage. If you go to the commentaries, you're going to find some, uh, a lot of argument about this particular passage. Here's, here's the, the argument. Is Paul describing the life of an unbeliever, or is he describing the life as a believer? Now I take the majority view and that is the second view that Paul is describing the life of a believer. There's a strong argument for both. You could see in here wording that points us to say this is an unbeliever but there's also wording in here that points to being a believer. But we don't have time for all those arguments today but hopefully by the end as we finish uh, you'll have a good feel for why I think it is the experience of a follower of Jesus. Paul's been rescued from sin, but he's like, I still struggle with sin. What's up with that? Verse 21. (laughs) So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is close at hand. Let's pause there for a minute, okay? That word law there is in the Greek word, it's the Greek word namas, okay? In verse 21, and verse 23, I think Paul's using a play on words and he's using it as, uh, as if probably a better English word would be principle. Because in verse 22, the same word is used for the law of God. But he's saying, so I, I find it to be a good principle, a, a, a fact of life, that when I want to do what, what I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And what he's saying again is the flesh is still here. The sin nature is still here. For I delight in the law of God, capital L if you will, the law of God, the rules of God, in my what? My inner being. Down deep in my soul, I delight in what God wants. That's what, because, and that's a true, that's, that's where we would say this as a believer that really wants what God wants. But I see in my members, My physical body, another law or another principle, waging war, there's a battle, against the law of my mind. Your mind, my mind, is the battlefield. Right there is where everything takes place. And we're going to big time unpack that in two weeks, because I think the beginning of chapter eight is the answer, the key to the Christian life, which we'll explain in a couple weeks. Go read it ahead of time. I'm, I'm not holding it from you. No, no, no spoiler alerts. Go study it. Another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin, the principle of sin that dwells in my members. Our, our bodies, they just cooperate with the flesh, the sin nature, they all work together and the battle's going on up here because we've been rescued from sin but yet it's still here. Um, I'll give you a principle in just a second, but I want to point out something. So most of you know I'm in school studying counseling right now, and it is interesting that in the secular world, the most successful secular approach to life change is what they call CBT, or cognitive behavior therapy. And it's interesting that the world's caught on that thinking is the key to change, and that still is a truth for us as believers, but it's gonna be a little bit different because it's gonna be what do we think about and where is the battle of the mind? Again, that's in a couple of weeks. But let me give you this principle. Sin may, long, sin may no longer have authority over us, but it still lives in us in our flesh. I wanna make sure you understand this. Sin no longer has authority over you because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But yet, the sin nature is still here. The flesh is still here. Back in chapter 6, it said to crucify the flesh, mortify the flesh, because it no longer has authority over you, but we still let it hang around. And the tension point is, we live in the already, but the not yet. Let me explain that. Remember our story, creation, fall, Redemption, restoration, creation, God made everything absolutely perfect. Adam and Eve rebelled at the fall and from that point in time, everything was broken. I like to add the word promise here because that was the beginning of, God says, I'm gonna rescue you. And then there's the redemption, This is the whole act one of Christ. He comes and he he, um, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross, redemption has started, he's been inaugurated as king, but then someday there's gonna be full restoration. Theologians called it the great uh, consummation, everything is made right. So we live in between redemption and restoration, the new creation, And, and it's a struggle. It's a tension between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. It's like, when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth, just like it is in heaven, okay? In heaven, is everything the way God wants it to be? Yes. Yes. On earth, is everything the way God wants it to be? No. No. So our prayer is we want more of that here. May your kingdom come in our church in our homes, in our personal lives, just like it is in heaven. We want more kingdom. That's that's the, the not yet. Someday it's all gonna be like that. We look forward to all of this getting fixed and becoming like that. So what does that mean for our personal walks with God? Let me give you a quick illustration. Um, Juneteenth um, is, is officially, I didn't know this, Juneteenth National Independence Day. It's a federal holiday commemorating the end of what? Slavery, okay? So a few years ago is when it officially became a holiday. It's actually a combination of June and 19th. They call it Juneteenth. As it is celebrated on the anniversary of June 19th, what year? little test. It's even before Tom's time, okay? 18, what? You're close. 1865. When, as the American Civil War was ending, Major General Gordon Granger ordered the final enforcement of the Emancipation Proclamation in the state of what? Texas. When the Emancipation Proclamation, when was the Emancipation Proclamation declared? It was actually called Proclamation 95. It was a presidential proclamation and executive order issued by President Abraham Lincoln on January 1, what year? 18... 63 two and a half years between the final enforcement of the Emancipation Proclamation and when it was first ordered. So for two and a half years, how many slaves were technically free but the free their freedom hadn't been enforced yet? Two and a half years. I think that's just one of any number of illustrations that you and I uh, that would apply to this situation of the already but the not yet. Sin no longer has authority over you. No longer has authority over me. But we still live like it. We still live like, like Paul's struggle here. It's like, I want to do this, but I don't do it. I don't want to do this, but I do it. It's this tension. And my friends, that is the flesh. That's the struggle that we all experience. What's Paul's response to this in verse 24? Almost done. Almost done. Hey Josh, wake up. Verse 24. <laughs> wretched man that I am. He's saying, I suck. He's saying, I, I'm just, I'm horrible. I'm just, ugh. this is the theological word for this. It's ugh. wretched man that I am. In fact, let's summarize it this way. You get to help me with the sermon, okay? Um, All of this can feel very what? Discouraging. Discouraging. Frustrating. Frustrating. Overwhelming. Overwhelming. Hopeless. Hopeless. Sad. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, sometimes we do stuff that's like, why did I do that? Yeah. If St. Paul... The Apostle Paul struggles in this way. I think we're going to struggle this way. It's okay to say, wretched am I, frustrated as I. What's the, the, you know, you could go with, oops, I did it again. Or you could go with, what's the, um, a a worm that I am. It's uh, the hymn versus, I don't know, who sings Oops, I did it again. Is that Madonna or something? I don't even know. So... (laughs) Britney Spears, thank you, I knew it was was one of those, so yeah, thank you for for keeping me culturally on top of it, Julianne, okay. But we go back to this phrase, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who is going to be my hero? Who is going to rescue me? Um, it reminds me pretty fairly consistently in our home. Uh, uh, Josh and Sophie are the only two non-drivers, and so when they go somewhere to a friend's house or uh, Sophie at dance or Josh at his girlfriend's house, we get a, a family group chat. Who's picking us up? Who's picking me up over? Like, and it's always a rock, scissors, paper, or it's. Elijah will say, uh, I'll do it if you give me gas money or, you know, things like that. That's just, just how that works. In fact, uh, this last week, Sophie texted me. Uh, this is kind of a little unrelated, but I thought it was funny. She texted me and says, can I go to the library with so-and-so? This is right at the end of school, and texted me. And, and, uh, but then, very quickly, before I could even respond, her answer was, tell me no. <laughs> so... I'm like you, little manipulator. You're, you want your friend to think that you're not that, that. dad said you can't go, and you just don't want to go be with her. So, um, we'll we'll talk about that. I think she learns that from her mom. That uh, is how that works. So, here's the answer. Okay. Oops. Here we go. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the answer. I'll come back to that last phrase here in a second, but let me give you. This is straight up from uh, the ESV Study Bible. Okay, so if any of you haven't got that, you're going to see this in your notes. Jesus Christ is the answer to the problem of sin in one's life. Not only did He conquer sin and death, and release us from the power of that, as we as we sang this morning, no longer a slave. Okay. He also shows us how to live the way we are to live, and we're gonna unpack that in several weeks. And Paul hints at it here. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my, what's it say there? With my mind. That is the answer, my friend. I serve the law with my mind, but with my, Flesh, I serve the law of sin. So I'm going to give you a homework assignment too. Because the principle is this. We have a choice to make. Where are we going to put our minds? What are we going to fill our minds with? The things of the flesh or the things of the spirit? And I'll be honest with you, it's, it is just so easy. Easy to disconnect from the things of the spirit and to put our minds on the things of the flesh. Go read Romans chapter eight and unpack all of this and begin to just really wrestle with it for you personally, for us as a church, as we move forward. I'm gonna invite the communion team to come up. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. I wanna summarize it this way. I want you to listen real carefully. In fact, I'm gonna let them get kind of in place so you can hear me real carefully on this. My brothers and sisters, in fact, why don't you you close your eyes for a minute here. Your frustration with sin, you being overwhelmed with your sin, confused by your sin, feeling hopeless about your sin, is normal. We all struggle. We all have frustration. But hear me on this. Do not give up hope on becoming the mature man, the mature woman of God that will bear fruit for his glory. Because of Jesus. Jesus is the answer to all that. You're normal but don't stay normal